0: Okay, all right, everybody. Welcome to uh, this podcast this week, and uh, welcome, Peter. Hello, Dan. Greetings. This week we're going to be talking about John Frankenheimer's 1998 uh, sort of action drama, Ronin. This was my pick this week.
1: Ronin. Was this his last movie? I don't. He died in 2002. Think so.
0: We could look? I don't know. This is definitely my favorite movie of his, that's for sure. I like this even more than Manchurian Canada, which is what kind of most people think of when they think of John Frankenheimer.
1: And um, what's it called? Uh, French Connection, right?
0: Right. Grand Prix is another big one from him. Black Sunday, which I keep saying we should do a podcast on Just Black you know, Sunday.
1: I can't even remember if I've seen Black Sunday. but
0: Black Sunday is written by Thomas Harris, who yeah. also wrote the, uh, the Hannibal Lecter books so this was no he had three movies after this he had reindeer games which i believe had ben affleck in it a Mm -hmm. short film for bmw and something called path to war for hbo that i never saw
1: right it sounds like a sounds like a documentary
0: yeah or something um it must have been about iraq or afghanistan i can imagine um So I'm a I really really like this film like you know this is an interesting follow up to last week's Heat Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas I feel like this is a more even though this is a similarly dark and serious movie I just find it a little more fun like it's a little snappier the dialogue is better and faster and I'm I'm more interested in their fate whereas in Heat I found myself a little less invested in the characters even though you know you could argue you know these people even less than you know the characters in Heat.
1: This is a great contrast. I think, I think it was a great pick because, um, this is a weightier movie, you know, it's a lot weightier movie. And it, it, it does not feel, it's not as, as slick in its presentation, but it has more substance to it.
0: It does. And you, and you, you feel more gravity in this movie. Like mm-hmm. you feel like there's more at stake, even though again, like, you know, much less, like, I, like, I think this is a great example of like extreme minimalist writing. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, none of the characters, real names, you know, none of the characters backgrounds, except for little hints. You don't know what's in the case. You know, you never find out what's in the case, which is irrelevant anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Even De Niro says kind of at the end, it's irrelevant. What's in the case. You know, there's a couple of, there's a couple of big unresolved questions at the end of the film and you're okay with it. You know, like you're, You know, you, the viewer, you're totally fine not knowing all this stuff, because from a story point of view, everything you need to know, you know, and what you needed to see, you know, you understand.
1: Yeah, this movie, to me, when I see it again now, it doesn't leave me with a sense of um, a sense that that it's only a skin. Right. And there's nothing behind it, whereas heat kind of does. This movie, interestingly, you're right, even though somehow is not, uh, you don't know much about the characters at all. You only know maybe some of their preferences, some, and even some of those are fake, you know, like De Niro doesn't have a tolerance for BS, right? His character, maybe, uh, he's a consummate professional, but then in the end, you know, you sort of find out that,
0: um, that he may have been playing a part the whole time. Well, he, I don't think he may have been. He definitely was. I mean, he, he explicitly was. tells Deirdre and he, and, you know, from being the hard cold guy, he also lets her go. Right, you know, walk so you, away, walk away. He says yeah. to her,
1: "That was a good De Niro impression."
0: <laughs> walk away.
1: So, um, yeah, but so maybe, but draw you know, it may-
0: again, draw it again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, um, and there's no Pacino. and there's no. It keeps me sharp on the edge where I gotta be. You don't get any of that, you know. So, right there, that's an improvement. But um, what's in the case? I well, gotta know. Well, let's, you know, <laughs> let's say Vincent was an American guy played by Pacino. Then that would have been interesting to see
0: how that would have turned yeah. out. <laughs> Badly. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I'm not a big Jean Reno fan, yeah. but he's great in this. Like, I think this is his best performance that I've seen. Like, he's really good because he's really understated in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he plays this, he's sort of a likable dude in this, and
0: he's he's understated, and there's no BS. And but, he's seen, he sort of exudes this sort of Competence and curiosity at the same time. You know, like when they give him the list of things, you know, that they need, he's like, we'll get it. We'll have it by tomorrow. You know, like they're stealing mm-hmm. cars to order, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. And he, he's, not oh, you perfect. want an Audi S8?
0: Yeah. We'll have it by, uh, what do you think? About noon tomorrow? Okay. Audi S8, done.
1: You know. <laughs> right. And he's not perfect because he doesn't, um he doesn't get everything right along the way. Right. So he's vulnerable. Right. But, and uh, he's sort which...
0: of, he's curious about De Niro. Like he keeps trying to figure out, like, where De Niro's really from and what De Niro's angle on things is, Sam.
1: Right. And and Sam. sort of a center part of the character development of the movie is the fact that those two kind of like and respect each other. I mean, it's it's the, you know, there's only the only real interaction between characters is between them, and also the little bit of romance with Deirdre that De Niro right. has. Yeah, and I you mean, find yeah, out maybe real in the end because he tries to save
0: her. It's too much to say that. Uh, Sam and Vincent have a little bit of a bromance going on, but they have they have a mutual respect for each other that, for example, you know, you know, they don't ever felt, for example, for Gregor, even before he stole the case.
1: Right. And Gregor's is also more out.
0: distant. Right. Right. Although you sort of like poor Larry before he gets his throat cut.
1: Larry also seems pretty solid. Right.
0: Well, he's he's like a stalwart. Like he does everything that they ask him to do, and he unfortunately gets bumped off by Sheamus. Um,
1: the evil Sheamus.
0: <laughs> uh, I guess before we go any further, I just gotta say, uh, Natasha McElhone. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Yeah, I don't know. Number if it's one, Mackle-on or I think I I'm guessing it's McElhone. But mm-hmm. my God, is she beautiful? Good yeah, yeah. lord, well, good I mean... Lordy. They're not going to pick a homely
1: uh, girl for a role <laughs> like this.
0: But, you know, what's interesting about her is, you know, this is practically it's I don't think it's exactly what it's practically her first film. And she's holding her own against Robert De Niro, Jonathan Price, Ellen Scarsgard. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. she's she's right there in the mix and you know she, i'm sure that she was very nervous about doing this early in her career but she, you know it doesn't show through at all like she is like tough and acerbic and flinty you know like
1: mm-hmm.
0: like you really buy into her
1: right she's good
0: she and i love her the... accent like i could listen to her talk all day yeah <laughs> she could read a shopping list and i would be like oh yes tell me more <laughs> She's, I'll she's, talk to my people. That was understood.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was in Californication, You know, with uh, Duchovny with Dave Duchovny, and she was in uh, Solaris.
0: Yeah, I never um, saw Solaris, and she's in Truman Show. And I guess yeah. she's, I guess she's still doing stuff. Uh, but yeah. she's really good in this, you know. And it, you know, it's funny because if I was trying to think about it, they did this movie with the Deirdre character being played by a man, you know, then like it's just hard from top to bottom and having her there does give it sort of like a little bit of a different angle. And and it like, it kind of makes you sympathize for her plight more because Mm -hmm. she's a woman, I think. Uh, whereas if she was just an IRA terrorist, you know, less so, less so. Right. I mean, she's a, she's a woman IRA terrorist essentially, (laughs) which is more sympathetic, I guess, to, to the American audience. um, but she's really, really good. Like she's—it's funny because like she's not the linchpin of the story, but but without her, it's a very different movie. Or without a female Deirdre, it's a very, very different movie.
1: Yeah. So I'll attempt to do a, a plot summary. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Which
1: I didn't really prepare for at all, even mentally. Not that I usually write anything down <laughs> ever, as you could probably tell, but. I didn't even think about it. So, uh, the movie's about a, a group of, of Ronin or mercenaries, um, modern day Ronin, who are assembled to, to do a task, which is namely to steal a case, um, the aforementioned mysterious case that has something in it that the Irish terrorists um, that consist of Deirdre and Jonathan Price's character, Seamus. Seamus. Who's rather evil? Um, wants for some reason, and the Russian mob also Watt's. Um, and this team is is sort of is cobbled together from some referral from a guy in a wheelchair that they mentioned. and the man bunch, in the wheelchair, the man in the wheelchair, and uh, so they so they they're. Th- a bunch of pros, basically, who are are cobbled together. Uh, One of them gets kicked out in the beginning that we'll talk about. And then the rest of them go to attempt to steal the case. It's complicated by the fact that Gregor, who's uh, Stellan Skarsgård, um, he uh, steals the case and tries to sell it to the Russians on his own. And then everybody chases him to try to find him. Uh, There are a number of car chases a la John Frankenheimer. Um, and in the end, it turns out that Robert De Niro's character really is not after the case, but rather is still in the CIA. He's still an American operative and he's going after, uh, Seamus rather than truly going after the case. And he tells Deidre to sort of drive away because he has some kind of feelings for her. That have established right, and then she flees. She flees, and then the sort of uh, denouement is that uh, Sam or um, Robert De Niro's character and Vincent uh, talk in in a in uh, a cafe, um, and-, and, and
0: and Vince turns down every chance to really. Sorry, Sam turns down a chance to say who he really is for the last time and they separate
1: right they kind of move off and sort of say well i hope to see you again and and they make a reference to deirdre and right who and is who, who has
0: vanished so i have a question for you mm-hmm. what's the color of the boathouse at hereford <laughs> <laughs> what's the color of the boathouse at hereford <laughs> uh, apparently according to google it's orange
1: <laughs> interesting
0: um but who knows i haven't been there
1: did you ask your um your echo that or your what's the google equivalent of the amazon echo the uh there's the, the google oh phone uh
0: type? yeah 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 no i yeah. know what you're talking no i just typed it into google but apparently yeah. it's orange but
1: hmm. who knows I that could be some
0: that could be an internet troll i imagine that's a common question that google gets asked in the, about movies
1: i wonder if if the amazon echo would i don't have an echo but i wonder if it would get that I, I, uh, you it like I don't know,
0: like Siri can get pretty sophisticated references on the iPhone. So you might, it might. Yeah, but like, it's, it's funny, like if you ask, if you say to Siri, like, open the pod bay doors, it'll say like, oh, not again. Or like, it'll give you some sort of smarmy comment.
1: I know. But unfortunately, anytime you ask it for anything useful, Siri is extremely, <laughs> it's not something Apple's very good at, you know, it's, it's <laughs> Google and Amazon Uh, they're much you know (laughs) apple's great at uh, hardware design and some you know some interface design things but when it comes to those kind of network services they're not so great
0: somebody on reddit uh posted today that if if apple made pants they would make the belt loops different size so you had to buy their belt
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs)
0: um so you know to get back to ronan um the movie's kind of divided into three sections each of which is they get progressively shorter right the first one is the whole group together essentially leading up to them getting the case Mm -hmm. the second section is deirdre larry vincent and sam pursuing seamus and then the third section is vincent and sam on their own oh yeah pursuing gregor sorry and then after he steals the case and then the third part is uh vincent and sam basically alone Mm-hmm. Right. Because Deirdre has been abducted by Seamus and Larry's been killed by Seamus.
1: There might even be four parts because the beginning, it's before and after. Um, what's his name? Uh, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Yeah. Right. There's sort of a section before. Spence they is check, his
0: character. Yeah. I don't know. Though, I kind of feel like that's all the lead up, though. Yeah.
1: You know. But they're, they're um, demonstrating De Niro's that De Niro is sort of a leader and very capable. Right, You know, it's funny,
0: when I saw this in the theater, um, I missed the first two minutes. And the Mm -hmm. whole movie, I was like, I missed the part where they said what was in the case. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then when I left, I was like, what was in the case? But I guess now, of course, there is nothing. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Although there's lots of online speculation about what's in the case. Although the only thing that's interesting to note about the case is it doesn't appear to be heavy. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, it's plutonium. But if it's plutonium, like, they couldn't just lug it around so easy. Like, they kind of, like, whip the case around. Like, it doesn't seem like the people who are carrying the case are straining at all. Right. So who knows? There's there's, there's, there's Some people have suggested that it's Marcellus Wallace's soul. It's the same case that Vince and Jules (laughs) run around with in Pulp Fiction. But that's a bit of a stretch for me.
1: And it doesn't light up. They never show it opening up. Well, but like it never glowing. opens.
0: Maybe that gold light doesn't come out.
1: <laughs> right? Maybe it has ice skates in it.
0: Right? Like, you know, it's funny. I was just about to say that maybe they really are just ice skates. <laughs> the russians really really wanted those ice skates
1: it's the what's her name uh um the ice skater uh katerina who plays the the russian ice right. skater it's just Natasha her, ice it's her, it's
0: her favorite ice
1: skates That's <laughs> right
0: like, she lost them right they're <laughs> just trying to get it back to her all these people die 80 cars are wrecked in paris
1: <laughs> at least 80 in the first scene
0: um you know and i i said this earlier like the, the whole movie is about like how little they can possibly say, you know, to actually convey what they need to say. Did you read the story about how this got written?
1: No, I mean, I, I heard that. Uh, what's his name? Um, Mammoth. That Mammoth came in and rewrote a bunch of it.
0: Right. So apparently it's written by somebody I never heard of named J.D. Zake. And mm-hmm. then Mamet rewrote it extensively, and then Mamet and Zake got into a fight over the, the screenplay and who should get credit. Mm-hmm. Dot 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 dot. So Mamet is listed by in his su- s- <laughs> pseudonym. So. is listed by his pseudonym, Richard Weiss, mm-hmm. and apparently uh, Frankenheimer has said publicly, "It's it's basically everything you hear in the movie is Mamet's work." Right, which actually makes sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Just sort of like. Just the way it sounds, it actually makes sense, you right. know? Like, the original like,
1: screenwriter, of course, says the exact opposite, by the way.
0: <laughs> right. So. But he says that he got the idea. He was in France and he saw some gendarmes crossing a bridge. And, like, from that he got the idea of doing, like, a sort of espionage spy thing in, in France. But, like, you know, like, the, I mean... If you just listen to this, it does sound a lot like David Mamet, like Sam. Whenever there's any doubt, there's no doubt. That's the first thing they teach you, Vincent. Who taught you, Sam? I don't remember. That's the second thing they teach you. You know, you know. You ever kill anybody? I hurt somebody's feelings once. You (laughs) know, like (laughs) like that. That sure does sound like David Mamet to me. (laughs) I don't know. One of one of my favorite, although not my overall favorite, quote is when Deirdre says to Sam, you're scared? And he goes, Of course I'm scared. Do you think I'm reluctant because I'm happy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like she tries to like kind of like what are you a wuss? And he's like, I don't want to die. Like, of course, I'm not I'm not stupid. Like we're doing a dangerous thing.
1: Well yeah, he spends the first third, you know, basically constantly uh, second guessing and asking a lot of questions about safety. Um it, it's really you know so in heat De Niro's character is is supposed to be very cautious and willing to throw everything away at the drop of a hat right but he's different here because he if because when you don't seem cool when you're being this neurotic Careful. yeah you know he's downright neurotic to the point where you even wonder like geez, he doesn't seem very cool and then she makes fun of him right like you
0: just Referenced, Right. But he very quickly turns it around on her and basically says, you're a fool if you're not careful in this game.
1: Well, the fact that, you know, eventually he does, he is cool and he's scared. Somehow it lends the, it's one of those little touches that lends the movie weight and sort of realism that he doesn't have.
0: Right. And he also looks, you know, in heat, he's a little too polished. And I kind of made this point about Val Kilmer's haircut in the third act of heat. Like, you know, Val Kilmer is, you know, like manages to get shot. Yet he gets his hair done and he gets gel in it. You know what I mean? Mm. And like, like in the heat, Ronan's just a little too perfect looking. Like his beard is just a little too manicured. His hair is just too perfect. Yeah, Whereas in right. this, like, like they look, they look a little. You know, like they're running around. They're huffing it. You know, like their clothes are bland. Like apparently frankenheimer didn't there's no bright colors in the whole movie basically because he just wanted them to look like real people so like yeah. you know their clothes look plain you know like their haircuts look like they got them on the corner place you know and they didn't they just you kinda imagine they walked into the barber and said cut it short you know that was their discussion with the barber about their look
1: yeah i mean you know wikipedia's portion for anybody who's interested in you know photography uh you know they shot on film obviously then and uh, he he basically he overexposed the film and then pull processed it, which reduces the contrast in everything. So it makes everything look um, a little bit more washed out and less dramatic.
0: Yeah. The whole movie is sort of tan brown.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's cloudy. Um, it's cloudy or it's dark. Yeah, basically.
0: I love, by the way, um, before they get to the actual heist, the scene where sam tests the security yeah of the guys be, with the case that's one of my faves well and it's kind of the moment where you realize how capable sam is you know yeah. that he's just able to engineer that whole thing would you take my wife's picture take another take another right. keep going take let me take hey, a picture of you Get the palm trees <laughs> get the palm trees into my, make sure you know and he's so convincing as like this sort of doofy american tourist yeah and meanwhile like he's conducting an espionage operation right He's she's right. uh, he's checking out the s- speed of the security of the guy he's going to kill in about half an hour,
1: <laughs> and he, and he sets it all up in like four seconds, and you can tell he's done this like fifty times,
0: <laughs> right, with a little sign. Yeah. He tips the sign onto the luggage cart. Yep. It's a great bit, though. And, you know, like, you know, it's there's no, this is what I keep talking about. Like, there's no explanation of what he's going to do. Like, they'll, you know, like, they don't, like, if this was made by somebody else, they'd be like, okay, we're going to do this. And then here's how it's going to go. But they don't, like, you just, nothing is explained to you. And you just understand as you see it transpire. It's
1: yeah. perfect. They don't spoon feed you anything.
0: No, no, no. no. It's just the opposite. Just the opposite.
1: You know, the guy who acts more like a a, a dude in a normal um, action movie uh, or, you know, sort of espionage movie is Sean Bean. And he's ridiculed. So it's sort of like (laughs) he says the lines that you'd expect, like, if this were a movie with, you know, The Rock.
0: Right. (laughs) Or Stallone.
1: Stallone. So, like... (laughs) Yeah, and then so that that's what's great about this, and even I I love the retro. I love the titles are a little retroy. The the music's retro. It's sort of it has a it's well the of music's
0: harkens. not a synthesizer track. It's actual instruments too.
1: Yeah, and they they harken back to really like sixties. You know, there were so many espionage movies in the Cold War that were so well done, um, and this one feels like one in the sixties.
0: and and i like the way that sort of like this is post cold war and there's sort of acknowledgement that like russia's like like there's dirty russians all over france they don't really like it you know these sort of like flashy russian mobsters like no one's really in love with them even the russians who are there in france don't really love them
1: yeah i mean it's maybe a little more chaotic but it's still just as dangerous and there's still just
0: as much espionage and again you know like the russians you know the russians themselves are somewhat ronin as well like the soviet mm-hmm. has fallen but they're still doing their thing like they're sort of masterless samurai as well yep Yeah, it's, it's well done the the paris chase gets a lot of the press but i like the chase where they get the the case better like it just it feels more intense mm-hmm. to me like relatively
1: well, uh, speaking, right? Because they're all intense. Like his, conscience. they're all
0: very, very good. But I like the I like the the bit where they get the chase because it's sort of like the precision ballet. You know, you've got you've got Gregor sort of like tracking everything, and Skip Suddeth is in the the Audi S8 and he's waiting to ambush them. And you mm-hmm. know, they've got They got an RPG. <laughs> that was pretty good. They got an RPG. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's just it, that whole chase is great, and it's you know it's funny because you see the 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 guy who's got the case strapped to his wrist you know earlier in the movie he's they're coming out of the hotel and they've got some girls with them like they had a good time and then in this you know that guy looks he's very very convincingly like afraid you know like Mm -hmm. he's he's anxious and afraid he realizes like this is exactly what they have feared would happen has come to pass and you know this is a concerted attempt to kill them and get the case like he's i don't know who that guy is he's got a little dinky part but he's very good like i don't even think he has any lines in english
1: right well they you know they shot most of it in France, I guess so they hired a, a lot of a lot of locals and the, the cinematographer right. uh, Robert Fraze, is uh, French too
0: um but there's th- I guess there's there's a couple of big chases right there's the chase where they get the case right mm-hmm. there's the foot chase at the Coliseum right mm-hmm. and then there's the big chase in Paris. In the cars. And then there's the sort of final scene, which is largely a sort of like protracted foot chase at the ice at the ice rink. Right. You know, it's funny online. Like people really it's funny. Like there's there are like car movie web pages and car movie podcasts and people really focus on Larry's Audi S8. Really? Like, it's just interesting. Yeah, no, like, it, it gets, like, disproportionate attention. Like, I thought it was a cool looking car, but, like, if you look at, like, lists of, like, best cars in the movie, you know, you, you kind of think, like, the Batmobile, you know, the Aston Martin are going <laughs> to be up there, and, like, the Audi S8 from Ronin's always in the top ten. Like it's interesting.
1: Well, it's because they get to demonstrate some. There's tons of stunt driving in this movie, and most car chases, they show like Bond, you know, open up the ashtray and shooting out a couple of missiles <laughs> or crap, you know, and like <laughs> right. that's not what's Injecting interesting. The guy in the passenger seat, right? Nobody cares about that. Like, well, they it's just because it's thing. just stupid. Right. And, but they want to see some dude like squeal around the corner at 200 miles an hour in the street of Paris and like barely kiss the car, you know, the the car in the alley, you know, next to them that's parked on the sidewalk, you know?
0: Right. And again, this is, you know, these are very narrow streets they're driving through. Like they go to pains to show you how narrow the streets that they're driving fast in are.
1: it feels real so because of that it's just so much more interesting
0: well Um, I think it feels real because it is you know like there's no CG in this movie like they just did it like everything you see is like a car driving on the road I'm sure you read by the way that Skip Suddeth did most of his own driving apparently he's like a professional driver as well
1: (laughs) that's interesting
0: so he yeah he basically with rare exceptions everything you see him driving is really him driving Um, good job dude I, you know i was a little i was a little confused at first why seamus kills larry like it is a little odd because larry's on their team although i guess at this point he's just trying to cut everyone else out right and deal with gregor himself
1: i think he, he's just super evil Basically, i mean
0: deirdre deirdre even says like why'd you have to kill larry
1: Right. I think he just doesn't care about anything. He'll just do whatever's convenient and if it'll give him any chance of a better outcome, he'll do it. Like, he has no hesitation. So he's thinking that just makes things simpler because this dude was involved and maybe he'd come after him at some point. So if he right, gets or rid of it, he's knows done. Something.
0: Right. He has no more use for him. <clears throat> but it's jarring, too. Like, there's a couple of scenes in the movie where you realize, you know, like, they're really playing for keeps. Like, when Larry gets killed, you don't see it coming. Yeah. right and for example when when gregor you know is about to shoot the little girl in the playground you right. also kind of like i mean that's the sort of like establish gregor's bona fides you know what i mean right. like because he's sort of portrayed as soft compared to the other guys you know he's the computer guy and then it turns out that oh he's actually just as hardened killer as the rest of them are
1: right and he's using that to demonstrate to um the russian i think he's right. on the phone with right but but he's, he's right. really demonstrating to us no no bodies. the russians and
0: the, the russians in the car with him remember right right and then he and then he shoots him in the face right and then he ends up getting shot in the face right <laughs> right he pulls the gun on gregor and then gets shot uh but that's a great bit too because like you know like the stakes keep getting ratcheted up higher and higher and higher each time yeah um but I don't know, like I mean all of this like to me like I've seen this movie I don't know four or five times, and i I, I just watched it again in preparation for this, and like there's this really it doesn't slow down at all like I call this like a treadmill movie, like mm-hmm. I watch a lot of my movies in the treadmill, and you can't watch a slow movie in the treadmill, it just makes it seem like you're on there forever, and if you watch a fast paced movie in the treadmill like you're're you're, you're running faster, you know what I'm saying like you're you're engaged in the movie, and like I watch this in the treadmill. And, like, I just couldn't believe how, like, I would look down and I would, like, the run was over 10 minutes ago and I kept going. I hadn't noticed because I was just so engaged in the movie. It's a Mm -hmm. good treadmill movie for any listeners who run while they watch TV.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's it's a great example. It's just, you know, like we said, it's, it's it's a real genre picture. It's made in a very specific, it's a specific sort of espionage picture. And it's a specific mercenary type espionage picture without and that shows up sort of in the middle of things it's not about political uh causes um it's not about a big picture of anything it's just about a it's it's a micro focused movie on on what's happening with these this group of mercenaries
0: and you know they don't they don't kind of harp on the driving either you know like after the chase scenes they're not like high-fiving each other like good job you know like mm-hmm. there's no comment about the driving whereas for example like i was thinking like other driving movies kind of like they almost kind of ruined it a little bit by talking about the driving you know like there was that ron howard movie about the indy 500 or or sort of like formula one racers in europe years, a year or two ago like i thought that they kind of talked too much about the driving like just show the driving like that's all you need to do you know, well, less they, chat, more splat.
1: They don't talk about anything. You know, they don't They don't talk about uh, weapons. They don't have cue to show you the missile launcher and then use it later, like in the Bond movies. They don't set well, anything up. Yeah, you up. just
0: see, all you see is it's on the seat next to Robert De Niro in the back of the brown Mercedes. That's it.
1: Yeah, they, they don't set up. They don't talk about anything. And it's so much more effective that way. I mean, it, it, you know, I'm always talking about how all movies now are made for like, you know, adolescent Um, They were
0: always made for adolescence. We just didn't notice it because we were adolescents. Do you think? Yeah, my my parents used to always rail against the fact that, like, they would drive to the multiplex and there'd be, you know, ten movies for teens and nothing for them.
1: Well, look, since television, right, came out, movie, that's less and less adults go to the movies. However, now it's almost zero because now, forget television, now you've got your home theater You've got uh, Netflix. You can order anything and watch it at home. And great with it with an eighty inch TV. You know, there's no, there's very little to to draw you to the
0: movies, right? Well, and also, most of the big movies now are franchise movies that are heavily geared to young adult audiences or teens, right? I mean, Iron Man Twelve, I think, comes out this summer. You know what I yeah. mean, like like uh, 13 okay right <laughs> sorry so I, I think like yeah they split the last one into two parts so
1: <laughs> <laughs> well but that's the reason because nobody else is going to go but for them to go out and either try to you know ogle uh you know some other 14 year old girl you know whatever you know what i mean They're, for them it's a social event
0: i going to go there <laughs> i was gonna say like you better stop talking <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> um, i have bad memories <laughs> So, so here's a question I, I don't, there's, there's very few loose threads in this movie, but one of them is that at the end of the movie, in the sort of final chase scene with Seamus, Vincent is shot,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like he's clearly shot. He even collapses from his wounds after he shoots Seamus at the end. Yeah. Right. De Niro is also shot. And in the, in the cafe at the end, you see De Niro's got his arm in a sling. The yeah. old, oh, it's just my arm shot, like in the movies. But Jean Reno does not appear to be injured or recovering from a gunshot wound. Like he appears to be shot in the chest or the abdomen in the scene.
1: Yeah, I think what happened is uh, he's he has a bag of frozen peas strapped to his his crotch <laughs> because I think he got shot in the boys. Did he have
0: a vasectomy?
1: <laughs> he got shot in the groin, and so <laughs> I
0: don't know. Like I was just sort of like I, I went back because. Like, I was watching the last scene, and then I had to go back and watch the end again. I was like, boy, I'm pretty sure he was shot, and he's definitely shot.
1: Yeah. I, and then yeah, at the
0: I, end, he just sort of, they, you know, he's not only is he able to go, he's able to walk up, you know, whatever, a giant flight of stairs. It's pretty good for after a gunshot wound.
1: I know. I know. I, I actually <laughs> forgot, because I hadn't seen the movie in a while, and I thought he might have been shot, killed in that scene, because I forgot about the cafe. Like, I forgot for a second that, you know, he, he just bounces right back
0: up yeah I don't know. they've got good doctors, you know maybe they went back to uh Jean Pierre, the Michael Lonsdale character, you know, and he fixed him up the way they fixed up De Niro, although he didn't actually do that much for De Niro' to give him a sort of a place to get better i i yeah. guess I guess De Niro's bullet was just in his like sort of abdominal wall or something. I don't well, think they were reaching into his abdomen
1: they always you know every every movie. When somebody gets shot, what's really doing them harm is the fact that there's a bullet and there's subcutaneous fat, right? <laughs> that they have to get out. It's not the fact that the bullet decelerated and gave all its kinetic energy into massively destroying all of your tissues, right? It's that the Especially bullet, when the
0: bullet's Teflon coated.
1: <laughs> the bullet itself somehow is is like this, you know, it has this qualitative evil, right, that has right, to come right. out. Get it
0: out. Although it was really impressive to me was that not only did De Niro remove his own bullet, he did his own colostomy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, you can't even tell that the last half of the movie, he's got a colostomy bag on. Like, I mean, he's a really he's, he's really done this before. (laughs) Yeah, he was awesome. By the way, in real life, like when people are, you know, if you're shot in the pinky in real life, you're down for a month.
1: I know. <laughs> you know. Good luck trying to do anything with a mirror, by the way, when it's all back. <laughs> right.
0: And you're shot. <laughs> right. It's not like a mirror and you're the, you know, you know you're you're Dr. Debakey. It's a mirror and you're shot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice by the way the guy who played um Jean-Pierre Michael Lonsdale was Drax, the villain in Moonraker.
1: Yes, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, but I couldn't remember what. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, most
0: of his movies are French, but I was like, it was funny because I was watching him and I was like, where have I seen him before? And uh, clearly for me, it was as Hugo Drax. Uh, a actually, a little, um,
1: little ode to Roger Moore. I know departed. who just
0: passed. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I posted online that he was my favorite James Bond, and I, I probably a lot, not a lot of people feel that way, but he was definitely my favorite because he was a James Bond I watched when I was a kid. You know, like oh. like I saw Spy Who Love Me*, *Moonraker*. You know, I saw like mm-hmm. his his era movies in the theater. So to me, he was James Bond. Talk about colostomy bag. I mean, <laughs> he was. Walker, you know PT,
1: like he was—he was no spring chicken.
0: Was <laughs> he was eighty-nine. He was eighty-nine.
1: That's when he made those movies. He was eighty-nine. Uh,
0: <laughs> Where's money, Penny? <laughs> Get my walker. Bring me. <laughs> Bring me my brandy snifter. Um, Where's the Ace? Where's money, Penny? <laughs> um. And we just had to talk for 30 seconds about, about Moonraker, because like, <laughs> I saw it in the theater not once, but twice, and at the time wow. we loved it, but of oh, course, my God, it's, that is such a bad movie. Like, it's it's so bad, it comes all the way around to being good again. Like, at the end, he's, like, firing a laser out of the nose cone of the space shuttle. <laughs> wow. Like, like James Bond suddenly knows how to, like, you know, like, oh, I you know, I took that quick summer course in orbital mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, with no experience or practice whatsoever, he's right. flying the space shuttle. Like, it's an airplane right and then at the end like he's like screwing in zero g
1: (laughs) yeah well that's a given
0: i know but it's like it's such a bad it's such a bad effect like there's no illusion at all that they're in zero g like you get the sense that they're just lying on a table suspended by a rod with a blanket over them like it just it it looks so bad (laughs) But you know, like, I think Moonraker is 79, you know, that's, that's, that's James Bond does like, hey, we got to make some money off of science fiction, because it's really hot.
1: Exactly. Right. Plus so the space so, shuttle just, came, you know, was just about off. to come out. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a year before. But, you know, boy, you could see exactly how they were thinking there when they made Moonraker. Jesus.
1: Well, that's exactly what <clears> we're <throat> talking about. That's the example of, you know, making the movie for the 13 year old. I mean,
0: we weren't even 13, but. Right. But mm-hmm. you can imagine, like, you can imagine, like, you know, Roger Moore walks into the studios and Albert A. Broccoli is like, guess what? This time, James Bond's going to space. Although James Bond goes to, sp- well, there's a space theme in another one. Although Bond, there's, in one of the Sean Connery movies, there's a space theme where a spaceship captures another spaceship, but Bond doesn't go to space. So you can imagine Roger Moore was like, it's a living, you know, like,
1: yeah,
0: like, and my check will be how much? <laughs> <laughs> It's a great idea. I think even Richard Keel, Kyle, yeah, uh, he's he goes Richard to Keel. space too, right? I think Moonraker is the one where he falls in love with the little blonde girl, Dolly. Remember that? No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, really and Moonraker. In Moonraker, he uh
1: gets jaws VHS. Fall.
0: Last time, <laughs> it's probably about right, but he, Jaws gets a girlfriend in there. Oh jaws. my god! All right, <laughs> Jaws. Uh, shall we return to uh, Ronan? Um, next movie next week Moonraker. <laughs> you know, honestly, it would be fun to do Moonraker. Like, there's a lot of camp in that.
1: The only problem um, is I did have you, to
0: watch it. Did you? I, I have the DVD of Ronin, and the DVD contains one of the two alternate endings. Did you see any of the alternate endings?
1: No, I have the DVD as well, but it's in some box. So, so
0: the so there's two alternate endings. One is uh, where. You know, they're waiting for Deirdre at the cafe at the end, Sam and Vincent. And she doesn't show. And they're like, of course she doesn't show. And they walk off. In the first alternate ending, Deirdre is waiting there, too. She's waiting up the steps a little bit, looking as well. And then they miss each other. And then the IRA abducts her and says, this is what we do to traitors. Because she runs off and leaves Seamus at the end. And it's it's basically implied as heavily as they could do it that she's murdered. Hmm. Uh, and then that's, that's on the DVD. Like, that's a special feature. And you actually see that scene of her being abducted by a bunch of guys in a van. <clears throat> and then there's a second alternate ending where she's just, where Sam and Vincent part company and walk away. And then you see her still standing there out of their sight. Hmm. So you know that she's alive and has, you know, thoughts to come back, but doesn't go all away. And Frankenheimer said that the test audiences did not like either of those endings. They certainly didn't like Deirdre dying, um, and they didn't even like her just sort of standing there. And he also thought that, I read that he thought that it was too Hollywood, because it sets it up for a sequel. Whereas if they don't see her again, it's just, it's final.
1: Well, if they wanted to make it Hollywood, they would have had her sort of reunite with him somehow in the end, so it had a happy romantic ending.
0: Right, right, Mm. a la Rick Deckard and Rachel at the end of the original uh, release of Blade <laughs> Runner right, just driving right. off into the sunset and she's a special replicant. She'll live forever.
1: Right. The voice, <laughs> the infamous voiceover.
0: Um, yeah. But yeah, but those are, it's interesting that they played around with it, you
1: know? Yeah. But it's even more interesting that they didn't even consider making the Pat ending.
0: Right. And it's better that they leave it, leave it sort of more flat. You know, that's what Vincent says at the end. Like that's the business we're in,
1: you know? Yeah. But, I mean, they didn't They didn't make the, the happy ending. They didn't even consider the happy ending, you know, which is great.
0: Yeah, no, no, I agree. I, but yeah. also, if they had done a happy ending, like, people would have been throwing things at the screen. Like, there's no way you can have this go with a happy ending. And I remember when I first saw this, I was actually convinced that De Niro was going to die. Like, like, I was thinking, like, someone's going to pay the piper in this movie. And I actually thought it was going to be De Niro at the end. Like, somehow, in exchange for accomplishing the mission, De Niro would die. Like that's how dark I thought this movie was. Although he actually, he only gets shot twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the chase at the Coliseum, too, yeah. Um, and the way that like it just keeps turning over and over and over. You know, like Gregor's got the upper hand. De Niro's got the upper hand. He loses it. You know, they're all running around. Right. Like uh, I Shame love the way that Gregor. Up. I love the way that Gregor gets away from De Niro. He just starts screaming. He's robbing me, you know, like everybody turns and looks like it's very clever, you know, and it's an action movie, you know, like he doesn't he's not like a master of jujitsu and he doesn't do some super cool move. Like he just screams like a girl and runs away.
1: Yeah. Like (laughs) screaming like Homer Simpson is is not cool.
0: (laughs) It's just not. It's uh, it's the height of uncool, which is why it's funny when Homer does it. Right. So that's what he does. (laughs) <laughs> and there's a good away. sense of them getting you know like beat up and worn down over the course of the movie you know like yeah. like um like gregor's face is all remains beat up for the whole movie after Seamus goes to town on him you and know there's
1: some time that passes too you know like you, you get the sense that there have been several days or maybe there's a week here or there you know because he's partly healed you know they're sort right. of right he's
0: got like some tape on his mouth or something yeah or in the Paris chase, when Deirdre flips over and goes off the 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 uh, the whatever she drive off the cliff. Yeah, you know, like the car, you know, lands upside down. Like you get the sense that they're hurt. Yeah, you know, like they, they're really banged up. Did you read, by the way, that um, they had the actors in the cars for those high speed chases? Mm-hmm. So because they wanted to be able to shoot through the windshield and not have it look like doubles. Mm-hmm. Like when De Niro shoots the RPG, you can tell that's a stunt double because they only show him from the back and it doesn't look exactly like him. Mm -hmm. But for the Paris scene, they wanted to be able to shoot through the windshield. So what they did is they um, had they they had I'm trying to get this right. They had cars that um, had right hand drive and then they would put the main character in the front with a fake wheel. So the driver was actually sitting next to her in the front. Right. Deirdre drives their car, and then they would just they just flipped it. They just yeah. flipped the film, so it looked like she was driving. Smart, right? But she's but she's just sitting in the passenger seat, holding on to a dummy wheel. But and I read a bunch of interviews, and all the actors basically said that, you know, like it's one thing to be in a fast moving car; it's another thing to be in a car going 120 miles an hour down a narrow street in Paris. And they all basically hated doing it because it was so freaking scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and you know, they they could have done something fancy like driven slower and, you know, under crank. Right. It It would have looked
0: fake, though. People can always spot that. Like your brain just, you know, your brain instantly knows it's not right.
1: Although, I wonder if digitally it's that's one of the things that may be
0: easier, you know? I don't know. But I feel like though you're, I feel like modern audiences are so good at spotting CG, like unless it's something subtle or understated, you know, like you're so good at spotting it that it, at least for me, it just takes me right out of the movie. Like I just yeah. totally like, yeah, that's CG. And then then if you like here, you feel like they're in danger. Like if if you see the CG, like you know that they're sitting on a set and a half car in front of a green screen, you just don't you don't care. Who cares?
1: Yeah, no, they're you know? terrifying. It's
0: sort of like why. It's like why in the prequel trilogy, like the Star Wars prequels, like it's so heavily CG'd, especially the second and the third movie. I mean, there's so much CG there. Like, like you just, it's just, it's like watching a cartoon, Yeah, you know? And like, like for example, when Obi-Wan and Anakin have their final battle on, um, I think it's Mustafar, uh, in the third one, you know, like it just sucks. Mm Mm-hmm. It just sucks. Like I don't know. Like that's an unsophisticated way to say it, but it's the truth. Like you don't care. Like this is the thing you've supposedly been waiting six movies for, and you you know you're literally you're checking your watch. You know. Well, that's
1: that's not that's not the only thing that sucks about.
0: No, but I guess my point is like like I don't know. I think it's much better that this is all you know you know real. Like it's not even practical effects. Like this is guys driving around Paris smashing up cars.
1: Yep, and fruit carts. Although there's right.
0: not- and a lot of pedestrians and a lot of bypass, like innocent bystanders get killed. A couple of the cars in the Paris chase burst in the flame. Like a lot of people die.
1: Yeah, it's super violent.
0: And I like the way that there's like there's no remorse. You know, they don't look back. They, there's like another director would have had a shot like when the car crashes into the embankment changing lanes and burst in the flame. Like another director would have had a quick shot of Vince and Sam looking at each other like, hmm. But they don't even bother doing that. Like they're too focused.
1: Right. They're on to the next turn and then and they're shooting they're back at shooting at people. The, the chase window.
0: in the the big chase in the dark night I think must have they must have been aware of this because, like, for example, a long segment of the the Paris chase is in Ronin is the underground tunnel where they're crisscrossing between the lanes and there's barriers between the lanes and they're going into ongoing traffic. Yeah. And the big chase in downtown Chicago in the dark night with the truck and the armored car it has a lot of similarities to this. Like there's a real sense in that of sort of physical violence and hitting things and smashing things in a tiny enclosed space. Like I bet, I bet that Chris Nolan has at least seen Ronan and it was at least, it must've had some impact on him.
1: I think the, uh, wasn't it in the iRobot robot had these, a bunch of underground chases like that. Right. Too? I think CG. that that's,
0: yeah, that's in Boston and it's all CG. Yeah. It's a great it's scene. It's a scene where the robots come out of the truck and attack Will Smith. Yeah um it's it's, honestly that's probably the best scene in that movie but you know it's it's super duper slick like that whole movie it's just super slick you know i don't know irobot's tough to do like irobot's been done in a variety of ways over like 40 50 years i don't know if anybody's ever gotten it right Hmm. leonard nimoy actually starred in a very very early version of irobot from the 50s it might have been an outer limits episode and let me tell you, they didn't get it, it right there either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. I mean, it's a hard story to do. like like it's interesting that they keep going back to the well for that one. But most Asimov stuff, you know, doesn't translate to film.
1: Yeah, I know. you it's, know. It's sort of dry and intellectual.
0: Well, have they ever made Foundation into a a TV show? What do I think they have?:
1: They must have made it into some kind of series. I think they have it's you know like or has rendezvous
0: rama ever been done you know know. i don't know yeah that's interesting here i'm just looking at a film adaptation uh 1998 they tried to do foundation it fell through 2008 tried to do it fell through um so now and and chris and uh, sorry jonathan nolan who i think is chris nolan's brother um Oh, no he's yeah he's the he's the brother of chris nolan the guy who did westworld is thinking about doing it for hbo but i mean like most asimov stuff um hasn't made it to the screen did i ever tell you that i met asimov
1: yeah i remember
0: right you weren't there though
1: no i didn't go but it was yeah he was
0: at the mall
1: the b dalton per- or something
0: no no it was even worse it was the walden books <laughs> <laughs> it was at the Walden books and he was promoting his new book and you had to buy a copy of his new book in hardcover, which I didn't know or care about. So I bought a copy of foundation and paperback mm-hmm. and I got online this is a true story. And I got online and I got to the front of the line and he got pissed. He was right. like, you got to buy the other book. And I was like, well, I just bought this book and I like this book. And he was like, you really should buy the other book. He was like literally arguing with me like, that I should go back and buy the other book. And I basically was like, I'm a sixteen year old kid and I just bought this book and you're gonna sign it. And then like he signed it and like handed it to kinda of slid it off and I was done. But to this day, like it's about ten feet from here, I have a signed copy of foundation mm-hmm. that I got from Isaac Asimov. <laughs> oh. I think after that I was kind of done with Isaac Asimov <laughs> for a while. <laughs> you know, by the way, he was like stupid kid. <laughs> right, because
1: he's like, you know, that that twelve ninety five or whatever that hardcover cost, you know, he got like two bucks of that.
0: Right, exactly. He probably got nothing from Foundation at that point. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, like, he made eight, eight cents. Probably. <laughs> it would be awesome if I gave him a copy with the cover ripped off, you know, like, you see those in paperback book palaces? <laughs> <laughs> Could you sign this? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is actually a copy of Dune, son. Yeah, it's okay. Just sign it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just brought in a napkin. I asked him to sign that. Could you sign this napkin from Nathan's?
0: Oh my God, Walden Books! The Walden Books was so small, you know, like you had to hold your, you had to like, like take a deep breath in when you walk past somebody in the aisle because it was so small. That Walden Books, I like know. it's basically the size of the men's room at a Barnes and Noble. We that still, Walden Books,
1: we still went.
0: Oh yeah, are you kidding? That was all there was. The B Dalton was like the size of you know a living room, and it was considered a, a large bookstore. In that day,
1: by the way, that Walden Books <laughs> has more. Had more books in it than if you go to a Barnes Noble right now.
0: Oh yeah, it was just it was crammed no to books. the rafters. It, it had I remember that Walden Books had the rolling ladder. Do you remember that? Like the rolling yes. ladder along the wall and like the science fiction shelf for the you know went up went up to about twelve feet in height. I know, uh, you know what? I remember that they used to let you climb and now they'd never let you climb a ladder in a store because they'd be afraid you'd sue them. But I remember climbing that ladder all the time. Nobody yep. cared. Nobody cared back in the day. It was better when nobody cared. When we were kids, I don't know if you did this, but remember the, the, we're getting way off Ronan, but we're just, since we're just talking about how crazy it was when we were kids, I remember, I remember literally like saying to the mailman, I'm going to hang on the back of the bumper while you drive up and down the mailman would be like, all right. And like me and my brother and our friends, we would just stand on the bumper and hang onto the handle on the, the back of the mail truck, and he would drive around little well, children.
1: Well, even Could better. you
0: imagine that?
1: <clears throat> he went faster because it was more well, fun. Oh yeah, it was fun, No,
0: it was kids. awesome. <laughs> back in the day, hang on, kids! Oh my God. We're going around this corner at forty. <laughs> I know the mail truck was up on two wheels. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know the funny thing is the mailman had this case handcuffed to his hand but anyway um but oh my god so I'm back to Ronan <laughs> away, from the, away from the Walden books and Isaac Asimov <laughs> um are there any other movies like this I mean I like I don't think he I wouldn't call heat a movie like this in a weird way Mad Max and uh, like the Road Warrior and Fury modern. Road are kind of like this
1: modern times you mean
0: uh, no I'm bullet maybe. I don't That's kind of like this. I think there's anything that mm. I mean even the even the car chase in the French Connection is just a few minutes, you know, whereas this is essentially the entire movie is a chase.
1: Well, you know, the the French Connection's kind of like this. I mean, it's a much bigger, more epic picture, but I mean, it's a similar style of movie and atmosphere at least. Uh, but but modern movies, no.
0: Yeah, that's like I don't know. Like Ronan, kind of stands alone for me among driving movies. Is kind of its own thing. I mean, there's. I'm sure that there's others. There are lots of driving movies, but I don't know. Like, are there other movies that are really like this? That are this minimalistic? You know, like I don't know. Even like I, espionage. But again, I. I but I would say that that I would say that Fury Road is similar to this, and that Fury Road has so little dialogue we've done a podcast on Nord war we should do it on fury road today but there is so little dialogue in in fury road like the, it's probably like probably 15 or 20 pages of dialogue in the entire movie and it's, it's like two hours it,
1: it's not the same type in the sense that it's not this espionage sort of dark espionage type movie you know it's a little bit
0: no, well it's, it's certainly it's pretty dark in its own right, Fury Road.
1: Oh, it's very dark, but it's it's not a it's not sort of a spy type film, right? It's really
0: a um you know, Miller film. <laughs> I I don't know. It's oh you mean George Miller. I yeah. Like Miller liked to drink beer too. <laughs> no, no, George Miller. <laughs> you mean George Miller? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I I this is a movie Ronan and I haven't even approached getting bored with and I've watched it like four or five times. Like every time I see it, like I don't know, like it really, really holds my attention. Like every there's really there's no weak link. Like everybody in it is great.
1: No, it's solid. I mean I, I agree with you. I bought the D V D. You know, I, I don't I would only yeah, buy it nobody stuff. buys anything. Right, I would only buy stuff. You know, I mean, the DVD. I was probably it's a ways old. I don't know how old it is at this point, but it's probably around when the movie came out. But yeah, probably around '99
0: or 2000. I bet you bought it. You saw it. You saw it in a bin at Costco.
1: <laughs> but but you know the thing is, um, I only buy stuff I'm going to see over and over.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think so too. Sometimes you don't know though. A lot of times I buy something thinking I'm going to watch it ten times, and I watch it once on DVD, and I'm like, hey, that's the end forever. <laughs> you
1: know. Mm-hmm. But usually or, or you
0: never or you never watch it that's the other thing too every once in a while I'll, I'll be cleaning and i'll come across an unopened dvd that i was really excited about getting a year ago and forgot about the minute i got it home
1: yeah but you know nobody buys anything anymore really because there's no point
0: no i don't think so it's, it's kind of sad like when you go to walmart and you see all those like forlorn dvds there i don't know who's buying them but it's funny how the world changed you know like like we' really went from no ability to record to VCRs you know to 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 nothing and the whole world is just stream now the whole world I know you know and the, the truth of the matter is if everything is everywhere you don't need to own anything. who cares exactly <clears throat> any uh, any final thoughts on Ronan? Did no. I mention by the way that Natasha Mccaho is really attractive in this movie <laughs> <laughs> You
1: want know, to do a podcast on californication? There's like seven. <laughs> Can seasons. we just do
0: a podcast on Natasha <laughs> Um What's in the case? <laughs> All right. That's, so, uh, yeah, see you next time. All right, thanks.